Gracious Heavenly Father, we do confess our sins to you. Your word tells us rightly that there is not one who does good. No, not one. And we all know our sin. So Heavenly Father, we bring those to you. We confess our sin. And we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you for the promises we have in Christ. And how quick you are to forgive because of what Christ did in dying on the cross for those sins. In living a perfectly righteous life that that, that may be counted to us. Heavenly Father, help us to put our sin behind us and to walk in your truth. To walk away from those things that would drag us down. Those things that would prick our guilty consciences. Those things that would take our eyes off of you and your glorious love and your majesty and your love and your mercy and your forgiveness. Grow us in those truths, Heavenly Father, that we may be bold in your word. We do love you. You have created all things and blessed us in ways that we can't even imagine. Help us, Heavenly Father, to, to see your glory, to see those blessings, that we may give you praise. And help us to speak your word in truth to those around us, that they too may see how glorious you are and come to you. And there's so much going on in this world, and we pray, we cry out to you for so many things, because it seems so overwhelming at times. In the midst of this pandemic, we pray for those who are sick, and we all know some personally who are sick. We ask for your healing upon them. We pray for those medical personnel who are being uh, inundated with, with more and more patients. Those people who are putting themselves in danger's way in taking care of others that have COVID. We ask that you keep them safe and that you keep them healthy and that they'll figure out a way to take care of all these people, even though hospitals are full. Heavenly Father, we cry out to you and ask for an end to this whole thing. Help the vaccines be effective, or whatever means you will do, Heavenly Father, we pray for your mercy in this time. We do pray that, that this nation can heal. Again this week, we see that we are so divided, and we are so bitter. We're angry, and many people don't even know why. Heavenly Father, we know we're a victim of our own sin, our own bitterness. Help us to heal. It's healing that can come only from you. 
And so we ask that your Holy Spirit be poured out on this nation, that we can see the error of our ways, our own attempts to fix things that seem to go awry. Help us to turn to you. Help your church to remain pure in the midst of all of this, faithful in your work, doing your commands, showing your love in loving others and in loving you. We do pray for the leaders of this nation and the leaders who will become leaders. We ask for their safety. We ask for their protection. We ask that you will guide them that they may lead rightly with wisdom that comes from you. And Heavenly Father, we do pray for all of those who are lost in their sin, for all of those who are embittered by this world and don't know how to take it out. Heavenly Father, they can come to you with all things. And Heavenly Father, we pray for them. Oh Lord, draw them to you that they may know you as Lord and as Savior. Help us in what we say and in what we do that we can lead others to you, that they will see you, that they will be saved, and that they can become your mouthpiece, drawing more and more to you and your glorious ways, far above what we see in this world are your ways. They're glorious and majestic. And one day we will live with you because of Jesus Christ. We look forward to that day and ask that you help us be effective and bold and confident in your word in these days. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And then if you will, uh, turn to the book of John. And we are in John chapter 1, and it will be a large passage today. Uh, we'll read chapters 19 all the way to the end of the chapter uh, through uh, verse 51. And uh, we started last week with the prologue, uh, and, and John was setting up uh, what he's going to write about, and some of that we will see even today. But the whole thing is about, the whole gospel of John is about knowing who Jesus is. In fact, uh, at the end of last week, uh, we were in John, John chapter 20. And it was the incident with Thomas, and Thomas, uh, when he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and touches him and, and knows, yeah, this is really Jesus. And Thomas cries out, the Lord and the God, my Lord and my God. And, and Jesus said, you believe because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. And John said, that's exactly why I'm writing this book. I've written this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and have everlasting life in his name. And so uh, we dive in. We want to know who is this Jesus. And, and so we'll begin here uh, with John chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. And as I read this, there's going to be the name John mentioned. And just know, so that there's no confusion, that's John the Baptist that he's talking about, not John 
the writer of the gospel, but John the Baptist. And so uh, let me begin at verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. 
Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths about Christ and how he has revealed himself to us. May we learn from your word and may we be strengthened by it through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, John the Baptist was mentioned a couple times in the prologue uh, that we went through last week. And the prologue, once again, is somewhat of a chiasm. And so John actually got mentioned twice, towards the beginning in verses 6 through 8, and then near the end in verse 15. And, and he was told, he was told he was a witness. And, and now we find out how. John the Baptist was witnessing. In fact, John the Baptist uses that word, or I, I, I should say John the Evangelist, uh, uses that word again uh, in verse 34. Here's how he uh, witnessed. Uh, and uh, so when we go through this, there, there's one thing I want us to bear in mind. We have John the Baptist, but you'll notice John the Baptist at one point, he's with a couple of disciples. Uh, we see this in verses 35 uh, through 40. There's, there's a couple of disciples, and one of them gets named. Uh, in verse 40, uh, there's Andrew. He's the brother of, of Peter. And so the, the question then is, well, who's the second disciple? That one doesn't get named. Well, here's the thing with John the Evangelist as he writes his gospel. Sometimes he includes himself, quite often actually, but without naming himself. And we see it clearly a few times later on in the gospel where he'll talk about this disciple who's unnamed, and it's John himself. And so as we go through this, and you wonder, well, how does John come up with so many details, like the hour of the day, the tenth hour? How does he know this? Well, if we had to speculate on who this second disciple is, uh, and if this were a game of Clue, Here's my accusation. John, with a pen, near the River Jordan. I'm pretty sure we've got John. And that's why he knows so much of what's going on here. And he talks about John the Baptist and, and the religious leaders now who want to know who is John the Baptist. Now, one of the things that we have to assume here is that John the Baptist has been baptizing and, and preaching for some time now. Uh, we don't know how long, but, but he's been making a stir for some times. And, and so uh, we read that, that the Jews sent priests and Levites. And the Jews in this context is probably the Sanhedrin, which is basically the re religious leaders. Uh, they were controlled by the high priests. Uh, it would include Pharisees. You notice the Pharisees get mentioned in here as well in verse uh, 24. So... Uh, without diving into what the Sanhedrin looks like, we'll just say the religious leaders want to know, uh, who is this John the Baptist and what's he doing and why? Because John the Baptist actually has an interesting pedigree himself. He is a Levite. 
uh, his father, Zechariah, was a priest. And so uh, this speculation from the, the Levites and the priests, they're like, well, okay, this is the son of Zechariah. And part of the expectation for the Messiah or for the Christ, there is a priestly element to that. They could know that from the Old Testament. And so the question when they first ask, who are you, uh, that we have to assume because of John's answer is, are, are you the Christ? Because, you know, you're doing some things that seem like you're trying to be the Christ. And he said, no. He, he didn't deny. I love how it says he did not deny, but he confessed, no, I am not the Christ because the Christ is yet to come. And so it's okay. Well, are you Elijah? Now this comes uh, from Malachi uh, chapter 4, where uh, God, writing through the prophet Malachi, uh, says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so in verse 21, they're saying, okay, you're not the Christ, but maybe you're Elijah, because we know in the Old Testament uh, that he's supposed to come. And, and in 2 Kings, they read about what Elijah wore, and he wore uh, hair and a leather belt. And when we look at Mark chapter 1, Mark describes John the Baptist as wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. So they're thinking, okay, wait, you dress like Elijah, and you're preaching this urgency to repent like Elijah. Are you Elijah? And John says, no, not Elijah. All right, you must be the prophet then, right? You see that in verse 21, and that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, Moses was speaking to Israel, and Moses uh, said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. And then he goes on, so they're thinking, okay, you're the prophet that Moses was talking about, right? No. I'm not that prophet either. And in verse 22, you almost sense their frustration. Well, who are you then? We can't just go back with a bunch of denials telling who you're not. We got to know who you are. It uh, reminds me a little bit of, of when I was in math class. You know, the teacher would ask me, Bruce, do you know what the answer is? And I, no, but I can tell you what it's not. It's not what I have written down because it almost never is. Do I get half credit for that, you know? No, you don't. And that's where these guys are at. No, we can't just go back and say who you're not. We need to know who who are you. And so John the Baptist tells him, well, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the, of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And that comes from Isaiah chapter 40. And also his own father had mentioned that of John the Baptist. Zechariah, back in Luke chapter 1, verse 76, said he's, he's going to be the one crying out uh, before the Lord. And and John is adamant uh, later on that the, the one who you're really seeking, he, he's coming later. He's, he's here somewhere, and I don't even really know him at this point. I don't even really know who he is, but he's coming. And he stands among us somewhere. And what's interesting as we read this, and, and John is baptizing, is these religious leaders, they understand what baptism is. Uh, some of the Jewish groups... Uh, and actually, uh, they would baptize when they would convert to Judaism. Some of them, not all. 
Uh, there were also some communities, I guess we could call them monastic community uh, type things, who did daily baptisms. And they would get this from Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, starting at verse uh, 25 and forward, uh, but they would, uh, God speaking through the uh, prophet Ezekiel said this, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and I'll put a new heart in you, and my spirit I will put within you, and you shall be uh, my people, and I shall be your God. And, and so there was some baptism based on that verse, and, and rightly so. But in those cases, when people were baptized, whether the converts, uh, converts to Judaism or, or these other communities, baptism was self-administered. They would sprinkle themselves the water. But here, John is doing the baptism. He's the one throwing water on people. And they're asking, well, what authority are you doing this? You're not the Christ. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. So where's your authority in all of this? Is basically what they're trying to get at. Now, uh, it's not till the next day that uh, there is an answer provided by John the Baptist, and and uh, that comes in verses 33 uh, and 34, I guess. But 33, basically, the, uh, the the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, uh, he on whom the Spirit descends and remains. Uh, basically, he's saying, God, I've been given this authority by God. And and the, the idea of that Spirit remaining, Christ, at Christ's baptism, uh, that, that becomes a, an important thing because Christ then will baptize with the Holy Spirit. But that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But uh, as we look at this, notice that the baptism really isn't uh, described, but it's presupposed. I baptized him and I saw the Spirit descend. Now, in all of this, the questioning that John the Baptist gets, you, you may say, well, is, is there a contradiction between what John is writing and what the other Gospels, generally called the Synoptics, are, are writing? When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially Matthew, Jesus says that John is Elijah. Here John is saying, no, I'm, I'm not Elijah. Well, who's right? Who's wrong? Are we, are we contradicting each other here? And, and if so, why? Well, John is stating a truth. No, I'm not Elijah. I'm John. Elijah, he was somebody else. But when Jesus comes along, he says, no, that, that was the Elijah that, that was written about. He just didn't recognize it. And I love how D.A. Carson uh, writes this. He said, John's, and, and I'm quoting here, refusal which, when placed beside the synoptic evidence, suggests that he did not detect as much significance in his own ministry as Jesus did. John is fairly humble here, and he didn't even recognize himself the significance of what he was doing. Jesus knew but John himself didn't quite see it. And I want to tie this together with a couple of other things. If you look at verse 42, when Peter is introduced to Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, so you're, you're Simon, the son of John. 
You'll be called, I said Cephas, if you read it in the Greek, it's actually a kappa, it could be Kephas, I guess, but Peter, we'll just call him Peter. Uh, Cephas or Kephas would be the Aramaic name for uh, rock. Peter is the, the Greek name for rock. Uh, but you'll be called Peter. You shall be called Peter. That verb is a, is a future verb. He didn't change his name right then, but it's almost as though Jesus is saying, I got plans for you, Peter. One day you will be called Peter. And then if you jump ahead a little bit further, even to verse 48, the, the spirit remained on Jesus, and, and Jesus knows Nathaniel and blows Nathaniel away because of it. But Jesus knew who Nathaniel was. And I want to tie all of this together uh, if, if I can. Because God, he knows who you are. He knows where you are, just like Nathaniel. He knows who you are. God knows what you are capable of, just like Peter. Peter didn't recognize, well, I'm going to do something wonderful for this guy. I'm going to preach a lot. He, he had no idea that was coming. Jesus knew what Peter was capable of and where he was going to take Peter somewhere down the road. And Jesus knows the impact of your witness better than you do, you do just like John. Just like John, who didn't really understand the full impact of what he was doing. Jesus knew that. And I want to tie these together because sometimes we get frustrated in our witness for Christ. You know, I'm praying and I'm trying to say the right thing and with the purest of hearts, I, I'm trying to lead people to Christ and I see nothing happening around me. Christ sees what's going on. And when his word goes out, it will not come back void. Christ is working in everything we do and sometimes we can get frustrated by it and say, I'm not seeing anything. I'm no good. I'm not very effective in what I'm doing. But if your witness is true, Christ is doing something in you that perhaps you can't even see. And that's why Paul would keep writing about endurance. Endure. I'll just keep enduring all things and preaching Christ, and God will make something of it. And so we keep that in mind because of what we see next. Now, the next day, uh, in verses uh, 29 through 34, we've got uh, John the Baptist again. And uh, he's, he's making his witness, behold, uh, the Lamb of God, uh, he says. And then in, in verse 31, notice, uh, for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed. That's why I'm baptizing. Basically, it's almost answering what had happened the day before. This is why I'm baptizing, that he may be revealed. And he's bearing witness about Christ. And so then the next day, you notice there's a few days that go by here, uh, verses 35 through 42. Uh, John the Baptist is with Andrew, and presumably John the Evangelist, but it's, it's Andrew who kind of takes uh, center stage for a little bit. But, uh, but Jesus walks by, and John the Baptist says, well, there, the, the, the Lamb of God, that's, that's the one. And Jesus, and that word follow, take that in the most mundane uh, way possible. They just literally were walking behind Jesus uh, as they would one whom they respected. You can tell their respect 
when they called him rabbi in verse 38. That's a respected teacher. And so uh, when John points them out, they, they just follow Jesus. They want to know a little bit more about Jesus. Jesus said, why are you following? They said, well, we want to know where you're going. And so they go there and they learn from Jesus and Andrew goes and he gets Peter and that's when they have that conversation. Peter, or Simon, you will be called uh, Peter. And once again, you might ask, well, okay, I see this passage in front of me, but in my mind I've also got rattling around another uh, thing uh, that you could either get from Mark chapter 1 or Luke chapter 5 where Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and John and James, I believe, uh, while they're fishing. They're, they're out on a boat fishing, and they've caught nothing, and then Jesus said, oh, throw, throw your net on the other side, and, and so then, then they get this great big haul, and, and that's, uh, you know, then Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, and, and they follow him, they follow me, and they leave everything behind and, and follow him. So when were, when were they called? Well, that was their calling to disciples. But they actually knew Jesus before that. This actually happened before that. And it actually makes sense that when Jesus comes and says, well, throw your net on the other side and then follow me, that they already had an idea of who he was. They'd already been taught a little bit about him. And so uh, when he said, follow me, up they go and, and they follow. So uh, here's Peter, and he meets Jesus uh, for the first time. And then we see the next day again, starting in verse uh, 43. And now this next day, uh, I want to read uh, how it's written in the Greek. I won't read Greek. I'll read it uh, in words we can understand. But uh, as I read, there's two sentences in this verse. As I read it, and you can, uh, if you have your Bible, you can kind of see how it's written in your Bible. But literally, the word order goes like this. The next day... He wanted to go into Galilee to find Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now what a lot of translations do here is they'll put Jesus at the, in the first sentence. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee. But that's not really what it says. It says the next day, he wanted to go into Galilee. Well, who's the he? It could be Jesus. I'm not denying that. And by the way, this really doesn't make any difference theologically, but I just, I'm bringing out a point here. It could be Jesus who went into Galilee. It could be Peter, because Peter had just been mentioned, and, and uh, so, you know, you'll be called Peter, and the next day he decided to go to Galilee. So it could be Peter. It could also be Andrew. And actually, I'm going to make my case for Andrew here. Um, and you can discuss this at lunch if you want then. Uh, but let me make my case for Andrew here. Notice uh, back in verse 41, uh, it said that Andrew first found his own brother Simon. That's the first one he found. So who's the second one he found? Okay, so he first found his, his brother Simon. And then when you look at verse uh, 44, uh, we see that Philip is from the same hometown as Andrew and Peter. So Peter, perhaps, or Andrew, say, hey, we got to go get the buddy that I used to sit next to in math class and get the wrong answers, and, and he's got to hear about Jesus. Uh, and, and so 
the reason I bring this up, like I said, it changes nothing theologically. Who really went to Galilee and, and found Philip? If it was Jesus, or if it was Peter, or if it was Andrew. Uh, here's the point. I, I like looking at it as Andrew, perhaps, or maybe Peter. Because it fits in with what we see happening. If you've noticed what's happening throughout this passage, John the Baptist is talking at first about there's one who's coming. And then when he sees them with his disciples, he said, there he is. And Andrews learns about Jesus and goes and gets Peter and says, there he is. And then one of those two go and get Philip and say, there he is. And then Philip, later on, you'll notice, he goes and gets Nathaniel. There he is. All of them keep pointing to Christ. That is the life of one who finds Christ. That is the life of a Christian. There he is. There he is, going and telling somebody else who this Jesus is. And we can do so with confidence because, as I mentioned before, God is working in your witness. And even if it seems to you it's really not going anywhere, God knows what you're capable of. He's working in your witness. And that word will not come back void. And so all of these disciples keep pointing others. There he is. There he is. That's the one we need. That's the one you need to learn about. And then Nathanael has this conversation with Jesus. You notice that in verses 45 through 51. Now, Nathanael, by the way, when you read some of the other Gospels and you come across a guy named Bartholomew, it might be Nathanael. That, that might be the same guy. Nathanael, his given name, and they call him uh, Bartholomew. He's, he's with uh, Philip a lot. Uh, but Nathanael, uh, he's from Cana in Galilee, and apparently is no big fan of Nazareth, as you see. There might be a city rivalry thing, but Nazareth might have been a pretty tough place uh, to begin with. Uh, but, uh, but Nathaniel, uh, he comes to Jesus then, and, and you know, can anything good come out of uh, Nazareth, really? But, but when Philip talks to Nathaniel, he says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. We've, we found him. And this really is, is the, the entire stance of John's gospel, that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament scripture. And we'll come across that later on as well. And Nathaniel is able to make the jump. He's introduced, Jesus is introduced to him as, as the, the son of Joseph, and that's how they would uh, uh, recognize people, where they were from and who their father was. But he sees the son of Joseph but almost immediately then, uh, in verse 49, makes the jump to, you're the son of God. You're the son of God. This is amazing who you are. And it started because Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see. Nathaniel, he had some, there was some baggage there. Nazareth? Really? You're going to tell me about this guy from Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. That's our message. Come and see this Christ. And also, it's an encouragement to those who are unbelievers. 
And I've known many unbelievers who are bitter because of brushes they've had with Christianity in the past. A bad church or a, a very stubborn uh, Christian, if you will, who really puts a bad taste in their mouth. The encouragement to you is come and see Christ. Yes, there have been Christians who have messed the whole thing up. And it might not look like anything good can come from that, but come and see Christ. I love how F.F. Bruce puts it. He writes this, Honest inquiry is a sovereign cure for prejudice. Nazareth might be all that Nathaniel thought, but there is an exception to prove every rule, and what's an exception these young men had found. And that's what I would say to any unbeliever. Come and see, and you're going to find something great. And Nathaniel, to his credit, he goes and he sees and he realizes verse 49, that Jesus is the Son of God. And he calls him the King of Israel and Rabbi. And there's been a whole bunch of names uh, by which Jesus has been called, the, the Messiah, uh, the, the fulfillment. He, he's the one that, that Moses was writing about. And Jesus' reply is, is quite telling and, and something that we'll be looking at for the rest, basically, the rest of the book of John. Jesus uh, replies, uh, well, you, you believe because you've seen this? Well, you're going to see something greater. And then in verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, and that's a phrase that will keep coming back, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this is a reference to Genesis chapter 28 when Jacob was in the wilderness, he was uh, escaping from his brother, basically, and also uh, looking to find a wife, and he's kind of by himself, and, and he has a vision, and in this vision, there's a ladder between heaven and earth, and angels are ascending and descending, and God reiterates promises that he had made to Isaac, his father, and his father, uh, uh, Abraham, grandfather Abraham, and Jacob calls that place Bethel, which means house of God. And Jesus, when he makes this uh, reference back to that in that place that's called the house of God, as Carson writes, the old Bethel, the old house of God has been superseded. It is no longer there at Bethel that God reveals himself, but in Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am now the revelation of God. And he calls himself the son of man. And this is an interesting phrase, and John takes the rest of the book, actually, to unpack. I love how one theologian writes the rest of the book to unpack what Jesus means by this. It's probably tied into Daniel uh, chapter 7, where Daniel mentions one with the appearance of the Son of Man. It's, it's a pretty ambiguous phrase when Jesus says it. But in the New Testament, the title will refer only to Jesus, and almost always, not always, but Almost always, he himself says it. That's how he refers to himself, the Son of Man. And he really defines the phrase then 
as he lives his life. And when Jesus uses the phrase, it's most commonly associated with themes of crucifixion or perhaps uh, when he's revealing himself. In other words, Nathaniel was thinking one thing, and Jesus, uh, let, let me actually, I'm going to uh, kind of paraphrase uh, some theologians here. Uh, they were saying Nathaniel could not be expected to grasp all of this at this time, all of what Jesus was saying. Never the, nevertheless, and now I'm quoting, the effect of Jesus' self-designation as the Son of Man is gently to qualify and reorient the political expectations bound up with titles like King of Israel, which Jesus was always very, very slow to accept. And then to continue on, the full articulation of Son of Man demanded all of Jesus' ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation. And a lot of times his disciples would try to politicize Jesus. You're the king of Israel. Here's what we expect from the king of Israel. And down through history, and even to this very day, we try to politicize Jesus. But that's to really short-circuit who Jesus is. He's far greater than what we might try to make him there. We don't try to make him what our expectations are or who we want him to be. He's much, much greater than we can imagine. He lived perfectly for us. He died for our sins. He's victorious over death. He's victorious over Satan. He's victorious over all things. Because he is the Son of Man as, as he will define himself. And so as we go into John and as we have this message that John gives us, we can start with that phrase that Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see the Savior. He's far greater, far greater than what we have in our mind. He is God, and he is the Savior of your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this great message of Jesus and his wonder and his love and how he is so much more than we could have ever expected but that he comes into this world and as John the Baptist says to take away sin the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so Heavenly Father we thank you for that and we do ask that you will continue to keep us effective in, in our efforts to lead others to come and see Christ. And may we see him for who he really is, our wonderful Savior, our wonderful God. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And the benediction then this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, in the name of the Father and of the Son 